Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there, mom. Happy Mother's Day. Um, hey, before we jump into the message, I want to point your attention <clears throat> to one of the GP3 in your worship folder. Uh, if you haven't looked at that, I want to point your attention specifically to that. Uh, today is, um, it's, it's a good day for most moms, and it can be a tough day for other moms, specifically those moms in waiting. And uh, we wanted to do something special to come alongside um, moms in waiting that are a part of our church and maybe who aren't even a part um, of our church by taking part in um, a campaign called Make a Change through Lifeline Children's Services, a, a, an organization that we love and we want to support. And so if you want to help us in this, it's real easy. Go to the lobby. In the lobby, there's a table with some baby bottles on it. You take a baby bottle. You take it home, you fill it up with change. Some of you, you take it to your car, you fill it up with change, and you bring it back by Father's Day. That's pretty much it. We're just going to try and fill up as many of those baby bottles as we can with change. Um, those will go to Lifeline Children's Services to help um, in, in pregnancy support and adoption um, uh, uh, services. And um, you might not know this, but there are actually a lot of families at Grace Point that have utilized Lifeline services. So this is kind of near and dear to our hearts. Um, and we would love for you to help, um, help us with this campaign, if that's something that you're willing to do. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll move on with that. So check it out on your way out the door today, okay? All right, uh, part three in this um, Life Apps series, talking about the importance of doing not simply the importance of hearing. We started this series in, in part one by looking at a, a, a verse that was written 2,000 years ago, this text from 2,000 years ago that's just as relevant today. It's just as uncomfortable today for some of us than it was 2,000 years ago uh, because James kind of points at an issue that happens in almost every church every single Sunday. And here's what he said. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. James sees and, and knows about and has connection with this community of Jesus followers who would show up much like we show up sometimes and they would hear preaching, they would hear messages, they would hear the Bible being taught in such a way, maybe in a small group or, or under a tree outside of Corinth or wherever it was, and, and they would do what we do many times. They would hear it and they would go, ooh, that's really good. Or they would hear it and they would go, ah, oh, I really need to do something about that. And then they'd walk away and they wouldn't do anything with it. And James says, you're deceiving yourselves if you think that's doing you any good. Like that, that, that guilt you felt, that mental, that emotional stuff, that's all real, if it stops there, you're kind of deceiving yourself. He says, don't do that. Don't merely listen to the word so deceive yourself. Do what it says. James would say, buying a can of paint is useless if you don't apply it. He would say, purchasing a Peloton to put all your laundry on is useless, right? Signing up for Koloff Fitness, great, great. But unless you go, it doesn't do you any good. Buying a health book on nutrition or health, great. But if you don't read it and apply it, it's not going to do you any good. So for these few weeks, we're just going to talk about five very specific 
life applications that don't go on your phone, but can go in your life that Christians are supposed to apply. So last week, Pastor Bob started us off with the app of forgiveness, right? And so if those of you who were here last week, or maybe you watched it online throughout this week, I want to see if you remember the bottom line. Help me out. What was the bottom line for last week? Forgiven people. Forgive. Yes, forgive people. Like as Christians, we're not supposed to think about forgiving people or consider forgiving people. We're not even really supposed to pray necessarily about whether or not we should forgive people. We're supposed to forgive people because we've been forgiven and no servant is greater than their master. Jesus forgives, then we're supposed to forgive. So if you missed that last week, you catch it online, listen to it on the podcast. This week, um, the app for this week is Confess. Confess or Confession, okay? And, And the second I say that, there are all kinds of images and ideas going through your mind depending on your church background, right? So um, if you're Catholic, if you were raised Catholic, the thing that's going through your mind is the sacrament of penance. Um, you were taught that you know, after you're baptized, if, if you wanted to be forgiven of your sin, you need to go talk to a priest and he's gonna absolve you of your sin. Um, for Protestants like us, the system is a little bit different. You were taught that you had direct access to God. You don't, you don't need a priest. You could get in your bed every night or if you're really committed, kneel beside your bed at night and you could confess all of your sin and, and God will, will, will you tell him all about it. And, and if you're honest, you kind of feel superior to the Catholics because you can skip the middleman, right? There's a little bit of superiority in us that started with the, 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 the Reformation, right? And I can make fun of us because I am one, right? Um, but here's the deal. In all religious systems, the Catholic system, the Protestant system, the Baptist system, the Presbyterian system, whatever it is, even outside of Christianity, in all religious systems, there is a way in which people try to outsmart God when it comes to confession. The Protestant one goes like this. We think God is such a sucker that once I've confessed my sins, it's like he just forgets about them. He just completely forgets. And when I sin again, he thinks I'm doing it for the very first time, right? It's like confession is the magic eraser and 1 John 1, 9 is the code to unlock the process. In the Catholic system, it's not the way it's supposed to work or the way it originally worked, but for many Catholics, penance is really about emptying out my sin bucket so I can take it and go fill it up again. And that's not just a Catholic thing, that's a, that, that's a Protestant thing too. In every religious system, when it comes to confession, there's this game, there's this ploy to try and outsmart God. But here's the problem with that. Trying to outsmart God is a sin. It's actually one of the big 10. It's one of the 10 commandments. It goes like this. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain. And we think that's about not using God's name as a cuss word, which I don't think that's a very wise thing to do. But that commandment is about so much more. It is about connecting God's name to something God has not connected himself to. And when we use confession as this little game, that's exactly what we're doing. We're trying to outsmart God by connecting his name to something he has not connected himself to. 
So you just need to know, when you confess your sins to God, and I'm mainly talking to those of us who are Protestants here for a second, okay? When you confess your sins to God, he does not forget your sin, okay? And you know how I know that? Because your mama won't let him. (laughs) And your brother won't let him. And your ex won't let him. And your neighbor, your friends, your all the people around, they want, they're telling God about your sin all the time, right? And it's not like God's going, he did? I'd totally forgotten about that. He confessed that until you told me again, right? No, that's not how he knows. I made that up, okay? And I'm, I'm sure people do remind God about your sin, but that's not how he remembers. Scripture doesn't teach that God forgets. There are a couple of verses that have been twisted to make it sound like that, but he doesn't forget. He doesn't forget our sin. And, and I point all of that out to highlight this idea, that we have totally misunderstood the practice of confession. That's somewhere along the way. And I can't honestly tell you where, but somebody taught us or, or we just assumed we picked this up, this idea that the reason we confess, like the practice of confession is to relieve our guilt or to clear our conscience in some way, because I feel bad about me for what I did, or, or I feel this distance between me and God. I, how do I get rid of that? How do I get rid of the guilt? How do I get rid of that distance I feel? I know, I'll just confess it to God. God, I just want to confess my sins to you so I'll feel better. Or if you're Catholic, I'll go to the priest and I'll tell him so I can feel better. We think confession is about our guilt relief or clearing our conscience. But then you actually open the Bible. You open scripture, and that is not what you find at all. In fact, there, you just do a word study around confess or confession. There is not one time in Old Testament or New Testament where the idea of confession and conscience is combined. Not once. Not one time is it about conscience. But what you do find, and we're going to look at some passages here in a minute, what you do find is that genuine confession, real confession, biblical confession, it's not like the last step in the process. Genuine confession serves as the first step towards something else. Repentance and reconciliation. And repentance, like that, if if you're Catholic, you know this. The word penance came from the word repentance. And at the very beginning, like in the old days, you were, you were really only allowed, the, 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 the whole idea of penance was to tell the priest one time that you sinned, and the whole idea was you weren't going to do it again. And that's, again, that's kind of been, that's been twisted. Even Protestants have, have twisted this. But biblical confession is not, I'm going to have this secret meeting between me and God. Biblical confession is, I'm going to tell God I'm sorry, and then I'm going to come to you and tell you I'm sorry, and then I'm going to make restitution. I'm going to repent, and I'm going to make reconciliation, whatever that looks like. It's not telling God I'm sorry over and over and over again for the same thing, but never change, but I feel better about myself. When you practice confession the way it's taught in Scripture, it's, it's honestly, it's a little threatening. It's a little uncomfortable, especially to us Americans. It's uncomfortable. It costs something But the result, which is the point, the result is always change because genuine confession always leads to genuine change. Genuine confession 
always leads to genuine change. And the reason we know that is because the majority of teaching in Scripture about confession is not about confessing to God. It's almost always attached to confessing to the people we've sinned against or the people that can hold us accountable to the change that we want to see in our life. And there's, there's repentance and, when necessary, reconciliation. So I just want to show you the examples of that from Scripture. And the first one is actually going to come from the Old Testament. Okay, So in the Old Testament... When God rescues the nation of, of Israel from slavery, they don't know anything about anything. They've been a slave nation for 400 years. They know how to work really hard. I mean, everybody who, every single person who came out of slavery in Egypt, all they knew was, yes, master. Yes, master. I don't have an opinion. Because yes, master, do, I do what, what I'm told, when I'm told, every single day for 400 years. So when they come out of slavery, God has to give them some social order. This is how it looks like to live in a society that's free. And part of that was confession. So uh, Numbers chapter five, Numbers, uh, uh, five, if you want to follow along real quick here, here's what he taught them about confession. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, in other words, here's how we're going to handle this. Any man or woman who wrongs another in any way, it could be a verbal wrong, steal something, physically hurt them, anybody who mistreats someone in any way, and so is unfaithful to the Lord. Pause. God told them, if you mistreat someone else, you're being unfaithful to me. I'll say it again. If you mistreat somebody else, you're being unfaithful to me, which we like to split, don't we? We like to say, man, God and me are cool. I hate her. But God and me, we're so good right now. I mean, oh, Bible time and worship time, it's so good. I can't stand her. I can't, I don't like him. I'd really like to punch her. But, mm, mm, me and God. God says, no, if you hate her, you're not good with me. Those two things are combined. From the very beginning, God says to Moses to tell the people, make sure everybody knows, if you treat each other badly, you're being unfaithful to me. Those two things go together. Jesus reiterated it. Talked about that a couple weeks ago. He goes on. Any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must, here it is, underline it, highlight it. This is freshman level 101, introduction to confession, must confess the sin they have committed. Okay, God, I can do that. I'll confess to you. Well, he goes on. They must make full restitution, another R word. There's all kinds of R words today. Make full restitution for the wrong they have done, as in payback, as in make up for. It doesn't stop with, God, I'm really, really sorry. I know I need you to go tell them. Okay, I'll go tell them. I'm really sorry. My bad. I was wrong there. God says, take the next step. You have you have to figure out how you're going to make restitution. <laughs> to which we go, okay, why, why do we do that? And again, because in this community that God had set aside for the whole world to see, he's thinking, how do we continue peaceful relationships? How do we make sure they're loving each other really, really well? Well, the only way to do that is not to have private conversations with God is to go to you and make sure there's peace between me and you. To which we go, okay, can we stop there? No, God's not done. They must make full restitution for the wrong they have done, add a fifth of the value to it, 
and give it all to the person they have wronged. So it's not just go back and, and make peace. It's go back, make peace, and add to it. And that doesn't mean if you punch them, you get to punch them you know, 20% more, right? That's, that's, that's how confession went in the nation of Israel. So fast forward, a few hundred years go by, Jesus shows up, and, and one day, if you grew up in church, you grew up in Sunday school, you know this story, you might even know the song that goes with the story. But Jesus is walking into town one day, Luke 19, and there's a crowd following him, because at this point, Jesus is a rock star, he's done all these miracles, people want uh, uh, you know, to see Jesus, they want to be around Jesus, and, and he comes into town with this crowd gathered around him, and there's a guy who wants to see Jesus, but he's too short he can't see over the crowd. His name was Zacchaeus. Yes. Zacchaeus climbs up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And Jesus comes by. He walks by. He sees him up in the tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. Yeah, that's all the Sunday school people. <laughs> Everybody grew up in church like, what is this cult going on? Is... We can't help it. I'm sorry, but we can't help it. Now, the important part of the story is Zacchaeus is a tax collector, okay? And, and let me tell you about that. Tax collectors were super wealthy in the first century, okay? He, Zacchaeus could have bought Twitter. That's how rich he was, all right? So he's so wealthy, and he was so wealthy because Zacchaeus had tax collectors underneath him that were collecting taxes for him. And Rome, as long as Rome got their money, they didn't care what you did with the rest. So they would collect taxes from the Jews up to what they owe, and then they would just ask for a surplus. They'd, they'd add all kinds of things onto it. So the Jews hated, they hated tax collectors because they were traitors, they were Jews working for Rome. I mean, you, you, you see this kind of throughout the New Testament. When you read this phrase, sinners and tax collectors, it's like you could go to bed at night as a sinner and you could say, at least I'm not a tax collector, right? So tax collectors, bottom, bottom of the totem pole, worst of the worst, that's how bad they are. But Jesus walks by and he sees Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house which just messed with everybody there. And he goes to his house. They have lunch. We have no idea what Jesus says to him. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall in this conversation. We have no idea what he says. But as a result of that conversation, this come to Jesus meeting that Zacchaeus had, think about this in relation, especially to what we just read in the Old Testament. Here's what happened. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, talking about Jesus, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated, you know someone in that audience went, if? <laughs> Bro, this is what you do. You cheat for a living. But Zacchaeus says, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back, not 20%, I will pay back four times the amount. So Zacchaeus says, I'm going to confess. I'm going to own up to what I've done. I'm going to repent. I'm going to stop doing it. And I'm going to make restitution. I'm going to pay everybody back that I've stolen from. Listen to Jesus' response. And Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, don't get carried away with. 
thou hast confessed, and it is enoughth that thou hast confessed thy sin to me in private. That's not what it says. You're like, does that say that in your Bible? It's not what it says. But isn't that how we do it? Isn't that what we think? Yeah, yeah, I did that to them, or yeah, I, I shouldn't have done, I should have done more, but I'll just have this conversation between me and God. Private conversation, I'll take care of it. It's nobody's business, just between me and God. Church, I need you to hear me. The God of the Bible says, no. It's not just between me and you. It's between me and you and them. Whoever you wronged, whoever you hurt, whoever you mistreated, they're a part of this too. Here's what Jesus actually said, just so you don't think I'm a heretic. Jesus said to him, today, as in right now, salvation has come into this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He says, that's what confession looks like. Genuine confession leads to genuine change. And Zacchaeus is the perfect case study for this. Because if he's going to go to all the trouble of giving away half of his possessions, which he stole anyway, if he's going to track everybody down he's robbed, pay them back, plus four times, what is Zacchaeus not going to do again? He's not going to steal. He's not going to be lazy. He's, he's not going to do it wrong. Because genuine confession leads to genuine change. One more passage from the guy who got us into this from the very beginning. James is the only person in the New Testament who, who specifically commands Christians to confess. Listen to what he says, James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins. Read this next part out loud with me. To each other. Say it again. To each other. James, if I start confessing my sins to each other, that's going to complicate my life. I like the version where I just confess to God or maybe a priest I have a casual relationship with, but if I start confessing my sins to each other's, I'll have to stop doing it. Huh. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, in the context of what James is saying here, he is not writing this to a religious hierarchy. He's not writing this to a religious system that doesn't come for another 300 years. James is saying Christians, individual Christians, community of Christians, when you gather together in your homes, in, in the, 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 the public square, underneath trees, beside the rivers, in coffee shops, with your small group, when you meet with your D group, here's what I want you to do. I want you to open up that part of your soul that you really don't want people to know about and let the light of God's truth shine in there. Because see, you know what James knew, what many of us know from experience, what many learn the hard way? He knew that secrets are like splinters. The sooner you get them out, the better you're going to be. Get them out as quickly as possible. The best thing to do with the splinter is to get it out. The best thing to do with, with secret or ongoing sin, sin that keeps on happening over and over and over, and you've, got to, you've told God you're sorry over and over and over, and God says, I know you're sorry, but you don't have to tell me you're sorry anymore. Let me, let's just skip that. 
what I would like for you to do is to go tell another person. Tell the person you've wronged or tell the person that can hold you accountable so that you may be healed. What is he talking about there? He's talking about a lot of things there. But that's where confession comes from. Genuine confession always leads to genuine change. Okay, now, I almost left this part out of the message, but I did it for first service, so I got to do it for you guys too, okay? I, if you'll allow me, I just want to get up in your business for a second, okay? And I don't know if there's anybody here. I don't know if there's anybody watching online that's dealing with this, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you have secret sin, it's like this, this habit, this, um, this pattern, whatever it is, and you're in the rhythm of telling God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but there's no change. Do you know there's a word for that? And you know the word, but I want to reverse it, and I want to tell, just give you a little example of this just to, just to show you, okay? Let's say, um, let's say you have a retail store. It's a cash business. It's a small, small family restaurant, coffee shop, whatever it is, and I work for you. And I've been working for you for a few months, and after those few months go by, you start to realize um, from coworkers, or maybe you set up cameras, whatever it is, you start to realize that I've been, I've been taking like two to $300 a week from the cash register. And so you confront me, and I admit, I say, you got me, it was me, um, you caught me, but before you get too upset, I need you to know I'm a Christian, and so every week when I steal from you, I go home and I pray and I ask God to forgive me for stealing $239.76 from you. And, and I'm a Christian, and so I need you to know that I actually support my church financially with the money I steal from you. I even got one of those bottles and filled it up with change from your, from your cash register. Now, are you going to look at me and go, oh, you are so godly. You really shouldn't do that. But because you use it for a good cause, no. No, you're not going to do that. You're going to look at me and amongst other things, call me a word that starts with H and rhymes with flippocrit. <laughs> I don't know another word that rhymes with hypocrite. <laughs> you're going to call me a hypocrite because that's what I am. I'm playing the game. I'm leveraging God. I don't want to change, but I don't want to feel bad about myself either. So I'm just going to confess it to God so I don't have to stop. That's a hypocrite. But there's, there's, there's another category. Maybe you'd say, okay, you're right, Tim. Busted. You got me. I got secrets. I got this little game I play with God. I got my system set up. My wife doesn't know. They're in different cities. I got it all worked out. I know it's wrong. I've admitted to God it's wrong, and I thought maybe he'd give me a little credit because I admitted it was wrong, because at least I'm admitting it, but I'm not planning on changing anytime soon. I'm just not. And if that's you, I have a suggestion for you, and I'm not being facetious, I'm not being sarcastic, it's going to sound like it, but I'm not. This is what I, I suggest or would encourage you to do. Quit playing that little game with that little confession game and just start praying prayers that are honest. Just start praying, dear Heavenly Father, you saw what I did today and I just want to let you know I'm going to keep doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. You say, I can't pray prayers like that. Why not? Chicken? You know, like, like come on. 
come on, at least pray real prayers. At least be honest with yourself and honest with God. But don't live in the fantasy world of thinking that God's going, well, at least he admitted it. What do you mean, at least he admitted it? It's God. It's not like he's going, man, if his wife wouldn't have told me about that, I wouldn't have known. Come on. Admitting things to God that no one else knows, listen to me, is worthless. It's worthless. You deceive yourself. You're, you're, you're trying to deceive God. You're deceiving your family or whoever else is involved. Just, just be honest. Just say, dear Heavenly Father, I know better. I shouldn't. I'm sorry. I'm going to continue doing this, but I'm not sorry enough to stop. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not going to play the confession game anymore, but I'm also not going to stop. And, and that, that sounds a little extreme, but here's why I suggest that. And I'm serious as can be. Here's what I know. If you'll decide to stop playing that little confession game that's worthless and be honest about what you're doing, not to relieve your conscience, but to stop playing the game, maybe, just maybe, your honesty with God will begin to form a crack in your resistance and rebellion. Maybe. And, and, and maybe, by God's grace, you'll get so sick and tired of your duplicity and so sick and tired of that distance you feel, so sick and tired of the deceit. Maybe one day you'll be willing to genuinely confess to the point it produces genuine change. But, but if you're already there, like if you're, if you're already sick and tired of all that, confession's a pretty simple thing. You just admit what you've done to the person you did it to. You admit what you've done to the person you did it. You tell your spouse, you tell your neighbor, your teacher, your boss, your friend, whoever it is. You just say, I told God I was sorry, and he said, that's awesome. Step one, completed. Step two, go to them. So I'm coming to you. And I'm admitting what I did. And listen, I know, I know there's tension there, okay? Like, I don't live in a fantasy world where I think everybody's going to start doing this and the world's going to turn into a Coca-Cola commercial, okay? I understand that. I understand it's way harder than, than I'm actually making it sound. The tension is we're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of what's going to happen. We're afraid of what might happen. We actually fear the consequences of confession more than we fear the consequences of concealment. We, we're afraid what they're going to say, what's going to happen, what am I going to have to stop, start, change. We fear all of that more than we fear the consequences of concealment. But, and you know this is true, the consequences of concealment are far worse than the consequences of confession. And you say, Tim, you don't know my wife. <laughs> you, you don't know my boss. You don't know my mom. You don't know my brother. When I tell them, I get that. I get that. I'm just telling you. Secrets grow. They get stronger. They get darker. The longer they're in secret, the more they spread. It moves from you from season to season in your life, from teenager to 20-something to 30-something to 50-something, and the consequences travel as well. The consequences of concealment can stretch out over a lifetime. The consequences of confession are immediate and local. So come on, come on. Christians, especially Christians, it's what we do. Confess. 
confess. And not just privately to God, to one another, to the people we've wounded or offended, because at the end of the day, genuine confession always leads to genuine change. So let me ask you, and then we're done. You, you've been telling God about it, and, and you, you, you feel like you need to tell him about it. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's no change. There's no freedom. You're not a different person. You're just a church person with a secret sin. You've arranged a little game with God, and you don't want to be. In fact, you don't even like them. You don't even like hypocrites, but you kind of become one. Come on, let me ask you, what do you need to tell? And who do you need to tell? What do you need to tell and who do you need to tell? And did you know if you're willing, if you're able, if you're ready to decide, you know what? I think it's time to fear the consequences of concealment more than the consequences of confession. And you open your soul to the light of God's truth, to people you trust. We're not going to go row to row and have everybody do this right here. That's not how this is ending, okay? To people that you trust, that people that are trustworthy. That might be the thing that God uses to change your life for good. And then you just get in the habit of it. You just get in a pattern of it. It's part of the sequence of events that brings us to the place of real change because genuine confession always leads to genuine change. What do you need to tell? And who do you need to tell? And it's not a one-time thing. This is a habit for us as Jesus followers. This is how we get the splinters out over and over and over again. What do you need to tell? And who do you need to tell? Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is, this is so much easier to sit up here and say than it is for to walk out of this place and to do. It's so much easier for us to sit here and listen to this than it is for us to apply it. But God, we don't want to be people who deceive ourselves. We, we, we want to be people who apply these things to our lives because we know it brings about freedom for us and it brings about glory to you. So would you help us as, as difficult and as uncomfortable, um, what, what, whatever it is that you've spoken to us today, that one situation, that one issue, that sin, that hang up, that habit, whatever it is, God, would you give us the courage to walk out of this place and to apply your word to our life? And would you give us the vision, would you give us the discernment, the wisdom to do that over and over and over and over again until it's just a habit? And confession moves from the bad word category to the freedom-giving category. God, would you do this in me? Would you make it something that's real and, and regular with me? And would you help us to be the kind of people that want to honor you so much, that want to do what, what honors you and honors other people so much that we're willing to make this a part of our lives. And in the end, this is, this is for you. It is about you. It is about your church. It's about your glory. It's about your kingdom. It's about this community that you have called to live differently, to live set apart, from the world around us. Would you help us to live like that? And I ask it, I pray it,
in the name of Jesus who makes it possible.